Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place, the legend of Korra. Hello everybody and welcome back to Streaming in Place. Today we are talking about the legend of Korra, book two, Spirits, episodes 11 and 12, uh, the Night of a Thousand Stars, and Harmonic Convergence. So, um... We had a few things that we talked about the other day, talked about yesterday, uh, which was uh, Noel teasing boomy stuff uh, and Allison's prediction that the Night of a Thousand Stars was a telethon. So <laughs> not a telethon, but, you know, entertainment related. So it's not, I don't think it's enough for a called ish, but I feel like it is more than you thought it was, Allison. What did you yeah, think of I don't these episodes? Think- I don't think that it's a called-ish, but it's like if there's a step below called-ish but above totally wrong. It's like, huh, surprisingly relevant. Yes, surprisingly relevant. Like, given that I went in a direction that I thought where I was just being ridiculous, it's weird how kind of sort of close I was. Um you know, I really liked both of these episodes. I Before we started recording, I was telling Kate and Noel and Marcus, hi Marcus, that um, I just finished watching Harmonic Convergence. So I have to admit that I'm riding this like really hot boomy high that is making um, the Bolin high that I had yesterday feel like a bit of a, a, a faint memory. Um, but... I really did like them both. I think that they're they're both good episodes. There's some great action, um, some great character stuff, uh, still some thin patches, and Mako is just the worst. Buddy. Um, just just buddy. the worst. Oh, God. Um, Everyone's staring right at him. Everyone knows. <laughs> Asami is basically s- killing him with his her eyes. And he's like... Nope, we're cool, babe. And just like, buddy. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, it's just, I mean, it's its just so shitty. It's like just really shitty. But other than that, um, a lot to like and admire and be excited about. And that felt good um, on the heels of the last couple of episodes after our little dark streak. <laughs> Noel, how was it for you revisiting these? It was good. Um, uh, the boomy stuff still holds up so well in harmonic convergence. We'll get to it in a second, but it's so still very good. What a payoff! What a good payoff! Yeah, season oh. one payoff, and it's it's totally worth the trip that it takes to get there. Um, but even like the Night of a Thousand Stars, which is an episode I only sort of remembered, um, was better than I remembered. Um, I really appreciated the. The, all the stuff with the movers and then just Bolin becoming Noctuck, but being Bolin um, <laughs> and that fuzziness. Um, I still don't think that that helps that plot line with Ginger in particular of the ways in which that gets the star persona and the human persona gets slippery. Um, it, I get what they're going for. It doesn't really like land for me. But it's still good. Like watching Bolin just tear off his tuck sleeves so that he looks like Nuck Tuck. Um, but also the fact that Bolin is jacked now, like super jacked. I kind of I remember like he gets really he gets really beefy 
in like seasons three and four, but I forgot that it started right here. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that there's just, there's a number of good things, but more than anything, I appreciate the weird commentary of, yeah, no, I had this cell especially designed for me. I own this prison. I figured I'd end up here. So here I am. It's just like, (laughs) oh God, Varric, you're the worst. The best, but the worst? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. John Michael Higgins is confusing me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, you know, with our current lens. Yes. I feel like Varric is a much more charming and interesting version of, like, who those characters would be in our world. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Zuckerberg wishes... He was a third as entertaining and charming. An eighth as charismatic. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and like, like, like Bezos, these different like titans of industry to taking over mega corporations. Like they're never this, this um, lovable scamp while they're being evil, you know? <laughs> and so, so it's just, it's such a, especially in a season that has not had enough new interesting characters. Uh, you're just co- it constantly places you in a place of ah, very great. Wait, no, but he's he's evil. He's not evil, but he's not good, yeah. and you know can't actually rely. But he's funny. Like it's it's all these conflicting emotions uh with with that character, and that works much better um when the other characters aren't mindlessly oblivious um yeah. as they sure. are in most of that first episode we watched for today uh when when they're like surprised <gasps> mako was right it's like yes obviously mako was right <laughs> what's wrong with you people did you not experience all of season one of course mako was right and Varric, this new guy who just took over your company asami is not like oh my god oh my god it hurts the brain so like uh Wait. while while yes mako is the worst Mako is not the worst in this for me. The writing for Asami and also Bolin is the oh. worst in this. Like, cause what is go- like Bolin is not the brightest, but he's a he is a block. He is a block of wood in this episode, and it's 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 not it's block not of clay because he's an earthbender. Come on, sorry. Well, <laughs> you know, because clay he can mold into different shapes, and uh, wood I think is denser, so. At least than than Clay. I've been watching too much Throwdown. Uh, Allison, do you have any thoughts on this? Um, well, about Varric first. I think part of the reason that it's sort of impossible to to just file him away as a villain, even though that's obviously what he is, um, is that he's got a level of self awareness that sure. that most evil characters usually don't certainly not when they're being drawn in broad strokes right like the whole idea is um that no one thinks that they're the villain in their own story um but here he knows exactly what he's doing and he knows exactly what it means and what it why he's doing it what could result from it and there's something really appealing about that i think it's pretty unique as a perspective for a villain i think um and yeah, I mean, like, by our contemporary lens, I can't think of a billionaire who I would say is equivalent. Nope. Got nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing at all. Um, 
I, I agree about the writing for um, Mako and Asami and Bolin in these episodes. Um, although it it does sort of seem like Mako's behaving in character. Uh, he just sucks. Um <laughs> The thing that frustrated me about Asami is the show doesn't seem to have any interest in Asami's relationship with Korra, which is like, like, there's no, for for being the, as close as they are, she, neither really seems to consider the other's feelings at all, um, which is sort of, I guess, the downside of the, the tack they took in the first season where neither of them either viewed the other as like a rival or the enemy or anything, which is good. It's... It it just doesn't mean that then they're also not a factor or a person. Like it doesn't. What that neither of them should have anything to do with him. The only correct resolution to what Mako does is that they're both like, "Later, dude. You <laughs> suck. We're gonna go make out. Hopefully, um, that's my ship." Uh, so yeah, I will say, however, one note in Asami's favor is she got to put on her best Miss Fisher drag and uh-huh. hop in that plane and be the amazing badass that they've somehow forgotten she is all season. Like, mm-hmm. it was great. It was great to have Bruce Wayne back, only it was actually Franny Fisher. It was, I was all about it. What a fun sequence. Mm-hmm. I know we're jumping around between episodes, but how but could hey, I not? I fine. mean, oh, yeah. the goggles, uh, the scarf. I was living. I loved it. <laughs> I like the contrast between Mako and Bolin. Uh, Mako's like, I'm cool action guy with all my fire blasts. And Bolin's like, the earth is down there. The earth is my friend. <laughs> Throw something. <laughs> it was can't fun. bend up here. I can't bend up here. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, it's good. It's very good. Noel, do you have any other thoughts about I mean like Night of a Thousand Stars is just so ridiculous and fun. And as Marcus says, I appreciate that it ended a lot of the bla- the bad plot lines. And yes, yeah. that is the most important thing it does. Um yeah. like the fact that it is that the the power of Nucktuck is what gets them to talk. Don't hurt me, Nucktuck. It, it was very um delightful. Absolutely. Uh the fact that Bolin uh is able to goes out and gets some air, sees one boat and goes, wait a second. Like it's absolutely ridiculous. But if that's what it takes to get us to where we are in harmonic convergence, fair enough. Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. Those, those two mustachio detectives get fired, which is good because Lynn should have done that ages ago. Um, just so long ago. Um, and, what I'm mostly glad about um, from Allison's response in particular is how she feels about Varric. Since he's sticking around, he basically is here for the rest of the show. Um, so, Marcus says yeah. maybe there's a police union. union. Yeah. <laughs> yep. No, there's no way there's unions here. <laughs> you know You know who Varric is? This is going to be my second comparison to the same... Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race personality that I've made I think in this week because I think the Willem comparison was this week so it's Willem Varric is like Henry Ford and I don't know Cecil B. DeMille let's say I was going to say Buster Keaton but that's not right mm-hmm. and Willem from RuPaul's Drag Race all mixed together like pure self-interest but but a kind of glee about it that's like psychopathic, but yeah. but not 
scary. He it's keeps the his assistant in jail with him. Like, that's just wrong. It's extremely <laughs> wrong. Why did she agree to that? But he also named a battleship after her. That's mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> and and there's a deck. There's a whole deck of, I'm assuming that pie is just a deck. There's a, a deck for pie. There's a deck for cat alligators? Cat, yeah, cat, cat alligators. Love it. Um, they've got some really stylish coats on board. Like, I, it's impossible to not find that combination appealing. Please bring the chaos. Not yeah. all villains have to be incredibly dark. They can just be forces of, like, unparalleled self-interest. You know what I mean? I mean, he at least has really great tastes of, like, I imported this red carpet all the way from the Fire Nation. They make the best red they stuff. They make the <laughs> best red stuff. <laughs> Such a good line. Um, you can't argue with what he's saying. You're like, no, you can't. They do make the bed red, best red stuff. They make all the good red stuff. It's just like the Water Tribe makes all the good blue stuff. Oh, and William Randolph Hearst. We have to throw Hearst in there too. It's like That's a good get. Yeah. All of the of the worst characteristics of the titans of industry of the 1920s and 30s mm-hmm. combined with like. I I don't well combined with Willem from Repel's Drag Race like I just I'm or almost like a P.T. Barnum sort of approach yes, to things definitely yeah. which would like a, a, I wouldn't call him a type of industry but yes very much of a piece with sort of what I'm thinking it's yeah. great it's great like give me your monstrous men who are motivated purely by just getting richer and not necessarily by being purely evil I love a villain that's a force of chaos rather than like a because those are good too. And obviously we have a couple of those here. Well, I was about to say, speaking of those, let's uh, talk about harmonic convergence unless Kate's got anything. Yeah. Um, No, let's talk about harmonic convergence. Um, Again, the show loves a penultimate, uh, just terrifying, horrible, like anticlimax, anticlimax, like the opposite of what you expect to happen. So, you know, there were still two episodes left. Uh, So clearly we needed, uh, you know, Rava to, well, we needed Unalak to be able to announce his evil scheme, announce his evil plan, and we needed Vatu to be released. So it's appropriately terrifying. What did you think? Appropriately terrifying. Uh, (laughs) This episode just, as we often say, slaps. Mm -hmm. Um, Or as LaToya Ferguson would say, she'll never hear this because she doesn't listen to the core episodes, but uh-huh. as Latoya Ferguson would say, she would say harmonic convergence fucks. Um <laughs> I I just it it's one of those episodes of the Avatar The Last Airbender Cinematic Universe that feels like it's like 20 minutes longer than it is, and I mean that in the best way possible. It, it's just so packed without ever really feeling rushed. All of the set pieces have really great arcs to them. The only time where I was like, oh, this feels a little bit like we skipped a step is um, in Cora's failure to close the portal. I had to actually stop and ask Tom, like, wait, what happened? How did we get? And he was like, oh, well, it didn't work. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's totally fine. Um, but what I really admire about it is it's, and it reminds me a lot of the end of the first season of, ATLA actually is that there's 
so much room for fun here, despite the fact that it is extremely dark, right? Like they're just making room for it to be entertaining and goofy and dumb and fun while also being all of these other things. So you can have lots and lots of feelings about watching little Janora get put into that pool by her grandmother who we knew as a child which I did have lots and lots of feelings about that and then Boomy can make you believe that he is going to command a spirit army with his pan flute and then it's just a flute I, I but master of the pan flute's a Sorkin reference but yes mm-hmm. it's yeah yes well you can and I I mean I guess wouldn't it be a fife yeah, it's more of yeah. a fife. Yeah, let's. I mean, we'll defer to musical expert Kate Colza. It's 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 more it's because it's like a wooden. It's more reedy, right? It's, yeah. It's not like a panpipe is the one that has like the tubes that are you know yeah. make the right. triangle. Yeah. Right? You yeah. blow across the top. It's not that, uh, yeah. and it's short, so it's actually more piccolo-y, But like, mm-hmm. just think. But but those are metal usually, so it's a it's a reed, uh, reed pipe. Let's just go with that. It's okay. It's great. It's yeah. the that act in particular, in addition to being, as Noel said, a great season one payoff um, and a marvelous example of both breaking expectations in a way you don't see coming and twice. Right. The fact that the second it starts to happen, you're like, oh, this is one of those stories he tells. We're about to find out that none of these are lies, that this <laughs> is actually how he operates. On the one hand, and then the other, making it not work halfway through, but still work. Like, just really, really great. And it calls to mind his namesake, and then you're invested in the history, and then you think, oh, well, it really seems like all of Aang's kids got a little bit of... They got different parts of him. I just... As I said, this whole episode is great, but I'm so hung up on just that sequence, which was so, 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 so fun. It was like it was like watching one of the great early Toph sequences or like any time that Sokka got to just rule. It was like that. It was great. Um, One last thing. Tom made an interesting point, which maybe it was just this will be obvious to everyone but me and I'm the only one who hadn't picked up on it, is that um, the siblings are older siblings um all sort of correspond to our original three characters which mm-hmm. i yep see you both are nodding this had not occurred to me no and we had really in smart. that context but yeah yeah, yeah it is. it's yeah. nice to see the i mean mundane is not a great word but the the non-bender having his moment totally <laughs> mm-hmm. um three benders Plus Sokka. It's nice to see the plus Sokka have his moment. Um, and also to I just now I'm rambling. I um, love Boomy. I love his pink earmuffs. I loved that whole sequence. And it was such a satisfying payoff um, that I'm obviously still a little bit giddy about it. Well, and it's what's great about the the three kids and the, the Katara, Aang and and um and Sokka dynamic with, you know, with Tenzin and Kaya and Bumi is that they have, they like, that's true on many different aspects of who they are. So on their powers, but also on their personalities and they're different. Right. So like 
Tenzin is not Aang, personality-wise. <laughs> he is so sassy. <laughs> he, he is so much more pissed off Katara than he is Aang, right? Like, it's so, like, it, the who, which of their, which of the original trio they are most like is different from their personalities to their powers to their instincts in, in battle and stuff. Like, it changes, um, and but the three still remain in balance. And that's what I particularly enjoy about them. Because if they were just one for one, we would have talked about that in like the first episode that we spent time with them and it would have been boring. We would have moved on. But instead, like I said, you just, he's just, Tenzin's just spending so much of the season just being a sassy bitch. And I'm so here for it. Um, <laughs> and to the point where, you know, I, I was genuinely like upset for Boomy when he like does this amazing thing and he starts to say, and he's like, you're just not going to believe me. Okay. Well, we're just going to, and it's true. Tenzin won't believe him, even though we know it's true and Boomy's disappointed, but also he has come to terms with this aspect of his relationship with his brother a long time ago, and he doesn't need Tenzin's validation, and I'm so here for him. Um, yeah, I also really like it. Yeah, and it's a very Sokka thing in terms of that paralleling to go, you're not going to believe me anyway. All right, let's keep going, because that's that, that practicality side of wanting to be appreciated, but also going... Yeah, no, no one's going to believe me. So moving on. Um, that my with my mighty boomerang <laughs> slayed whole armies of Fire Nation soldiers. Oh, you know, I want to make one other boomy point while I'm thinking of it, which is a, another visual thing. I love the way that they styled Boomy's physical combat because it really looked like old timey speeded up boxing you know what i mean mm -hmm. uh and the the way that the punches were landing and you sort of expect where they're going to go and they don't that was another great bit of that whole thing i always enjoy when you get that old-timey boxing stance because um i was not that long ago i was listening to a podcast i say not that long ago where you know, like that could be mean it just means at some point in 2020 is what that means uh and they were talking about like how come like why is there that old-timey like pugilist kind of states and it's because that's how people box because they didn't have headgear and if you don't if you're fighting without pads that's a way more effective way to box so that's why they box that way because it worked with like their their setup was it you know what their setup was at that time and only when you have all the like the head protections and stuff does it change to a very different style um so i always enjoy i get a kick out of that when i see it pop up in in different you know narratives and different like movies and tv shows and stuff uh because usually when you see the people doing the old-timey boxing right it's either a comedic thing or it's a comedic thing but also they're not boxers and they're not wearing gear so he fights in a way that's different than for example bolin and mako would if they didn't you know if they had that background of doing all their bending the like that more athlete approach to it as opposed to what's actually going to work in a street fight I, i'm going to take boomy <laughs> in a street fight over a powerless Mako or Bolin. Yeah, no, it's it's all just so delightful um, and madcap that it's hard not to appreciate it. Um, less madcap and potentially easier to not appreciate is Unalak's whole, I'm going to be the dark avatar. Yeah, are y'all glad <laughs> we waited to get this until now? I think it's it's good that they didn't pull this out earlier in the season. Yeah, it's um, it's going to be a lot easier to swallow as like the high note in the aria as opposed to like something they're introducing right at the beginning. Um, yeah, 
I, I mean, I can't wait to come up with a goofy portmanteau for the dark avatar. Um, that I'm excited about. And other than that, I'm I'm just sort of ready for Unalak to get his ass kicked. Darvatar? Darvatar. I think that there is actually like a portmanteau of it that exists already for their combined form, but I don't remember what it is. Because um, Vatu and Unalak just kind of go together in a weird way. Um, but yeah. I, Savitar! Marcus, Marcus' dark avatar <laughs> equals shadow avatar equals Savitar. There we go. It's not, it's spelled differently on the flash, but yes. I, yes. Doesn't matter. Yeah. I cannot tell you how much I love that a recurring bit on this podcast <laughs> that has nothing to do with the flash has become jokes about Savitar specifically. It yeah. just, it makes me so happy. It's weird. Um, Cause it's not even like that good of an arc that season. It's a bad either. arc. It's a bad arc. It's not good, but it's no. funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. We should talk about Unalak. I, you know, the stuff that we get here, I think works. Um, I think the pacing of when we find it out works. So, so much of the pacing in the beginning of the season does not work at all and a big problem with that was their handling of of Unalak and and everything but i like what we get here i like the attempted plea to the twins and and they're like uh no it's our dad and also he's really smart and you know and i expect more on that and you know in the last two episodes but what we get here i think really does work um yeah it's it's an appropriately like evil you know mad genius ah, ha 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 you know, I think it works. Even his voice acting shifts from that really calm demeanor to something in a different register that's a little more manic, um, which is a really interesting kind of vocal choice to make when you're hitting this end game type of thing of him att- apparently realizing his actual goal, lifelong, lifelong pursuit of merging with an evil dark spirit that's been tra- trapped in a tree for 10,000 years. <laughs> Man, she's like Vasu. Come on, you gotta, you gotta reach out to the very first human who comes along in ten thousand years. You yeah. can do better. You can do better yeah. than Unalak. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask how you both felt about his whole, his conceptualization of the spirit world and the Avatar that there should not be a bridge that it should just be like open borders almost type of deal of exchange for and how that kind of registers within larger discussions, particularly of this show of like tolerance and acceptance and that inner integration almost uh, concept that is pushed against in or toyed with a little bit in like the um, Amon season. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like maybe I want to, reserve judgment sure because i feel like there i'm having a hard time telling when the show is being deliberate about Uh the issues it's raised and this is a problem that i didn't really have with avatar um sometimes it seems like oh the show wants to ask and explore this question and sometimes it doesn't and i'm just having a hard time sort of figuring out where to spend my time intellectually as i'm engaging with it um for example, I've been waiting for them to start talking about interventionist versus isolationist foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just keeps not happening, even though they keep setting it up. So, so I think, yeah, I think I want to, I want to sit on this one until we watch the last two. And as someone who engaged in that discourse weekly, 
I think that's a good idea. Um, <laughs> I committed real early to the whole secularism versus spiritualism part of this season too early um, <laughs> when I was redoing weekly reviews of it. Um, but so much so that it's like the top thing for this. Like if you go to Wikipedia, my re- my premier reviews like link to it as like a big discussion about that. And that was a mistake. <laughs> um, hey, you're going to be famous. Yeah, well, yeah, for, for, yeah, for, yeah, whatever. Um, it's just, yeah, it's a weird thing that, like, I latched onto because it's such a weird part of the show that doesn't really get explored in either franchise until this point. Mm. Um, that I was really curious about how it was going to play out. And then it was like, oh, he just wants to do a big God merge thing. Oh. Yeah. That's, that's not as interesting. Do you Even know though that? I think, like, the bridge stuff and this idea of the worlds being open to one another is actually really interesting. Um, that tendency that we've been discussing of the show to sort of wade into a particular pond and then not do anything with it actually reminds me a lot of, of all things, the handmaid's tale um, where it feels a little bit dangerous to assume the best mm-hmm. of it. Which isn't great. Um, and certainly I'm not putting, in terms of the uh, uh, <laughs> the heights to which it is aiming um, and the shortcomings um, it is unaware of, these shows are not on the same level. Um, like Cora's, Cora's doing a better job. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does feel like, Oh, like once you say like, I'm going to tap this button and it's deliberate enough that we are supposed to notice it to then leave that unexplored is incredibly frustrating and makes it feel like you want to bring some skepticism to the viewing experience, which is never a fun place to operate from when you're dealing with fiction. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, Do we have any other elements we want to mention in these episodes? Anything else? I mean, I was so happy that the hijinxy music was back. I yep. specifically was like, hi, Jinxie music! Yay! Um, I want to talk about Naga's amazing entrance. Mm-hmm. Um, that was wonderful. Pabu has laser eyes now. <laughs> oh, Pabu. <laughs> I just, it, that was really, when uh, when they show up as reinforcements, that was really great. Um, and there was one other thing. Oh, well. It'll come back to me or it won't. We'll talk about it next week when we do our finale. No? Mm, Pabu laser eyes. Pabu's death scene. Well, faux death scene until the doomsday machine covers the earth and then brings him back to life. Which, weird that that actually happened. Um, the whole <laughs> purple haze thing that covers the planet. Really weird that that actually happened. Um, I don't know how much Varric knew. Apparently too much. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, I don't really have anything else. I'm really excited to watch the finale. If it's what I think it is, I think I liked it, but I don't remember. <laughs> uh, I, I thought of one more thing, which is that okay. I, I heard from our pal Keenan Caldwell this morning, um, who is catching up on Cora and will hopefully be joining us on Monday. Um, but she said so far, episode two. Um, Mako can go jump in a lake and I wish Bolin nothing but joy and success in his goofy thruple. And I had to work to remember 
what the hell she was talking about because yeah. it's been, it feels like it's been so long. And some of that is that we've all, I'm assuming, I'm assuming we've all aged at least six years this week. Um, mm. So it feels like an eternity ago, but I was like, what? Thruple? He, like ginger and and what? Like Pablo? I don't understand. And I was like, oh, right. Okay. That's where she is. She doesn't even know about the movers yet. Nope. <laughs> yeah. She does not. Yep. Well, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I look forward to Monday. Um, okay. Well, our last two episodes of the season are going to be on Monday, and they are uh, Darkness Falls, episode 13, and episode 14, Light in the Dark. So, again, such helpful titles. <laughs> <laughs> Elson, any thoughts? Any questions? <sighs> um, it's like they decided to play magnetic poetry to name all the episodes this season it's really they're so boring um okay so in can do a whole episode called boomy time boomy time (laughs) um i'm gonna guess that in darkness falls um they all get their handy pocket instruments out to try to soothe the world back to a state of calm through the power of music. They'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony, essentially. Um, and then in... Hey, you don't have you don't have to have an instrument to make music. Music is everywhere. <laughs> That's true. Um, and I, uh, I think in Light in the Dark... Um, we go find Janora in the spirit world and she helps save the day. Okay. Well, we will see. So thank you, Marcus, for hanging out with us today in the Zoom. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with week 28 of Shooting in Place. Yay! Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.